Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country. As they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. This is Mark Ramsey of the Ministry Collaborative, and I'm excited today to share a conversation with somebody I deeply admire, Jack Fortin. Jack, you have served as a co-facilitator for our cohorts, and you're on our advisory board, and one of the people we really look to for both wisdom that is very deeply theologically based, but also kind of a sense of where you see things. So hi, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks so much for having me. I count it a privilege to be with you, Mark, anytime. You wear a lot of hats, uh, both in the past and presently. Just kind of describe what your sort of work focus is or has been. Yeah, it's been kind of varied because I've been, I wouldn't say renegade, but when it comes to organizations, I tend to think a little bit outside the box. Having said that, I have a deep commitment to institutions because I believe that God loves institutions as much as God loves individuals. And so my passion has been around helping institutions thrive. And my hope is that though I come in, hopefully, as a loving critic, I try never to try to promote change that can't be embraced. If you overcook the system. They don't want you around. (laughs) So it was always living between those two worlds when it comes to the church, which I deeply love and am a churchman and a part of the, in my case, the Evangelical Lutheran Church. But I call myself a Lutheran. My good friend Daryl Guter and I both claim to be Lutherans because we think Luther needed Calvin, and Calvin, in our (laughs) opinion, desperately needed Luther. So we find ourselves or I find myself in that kind of place where I have a deep love for the institution, but probably I'm not tied to the institution in a kind of a dependent way. I've always wanted to see the church in more of a relationship with the real world and the community than I find it. I find the congregation, by definition, often self-absorbing, just because we build big buildings and we get excited about what goes on in and around the building. Out of my love for the church, I want it to be a church that gathers to scatter and scatters to gather. But it's that scattering that I think is so critical and now more than ever important for, I think, congregational leadership to embrace. Wow, you just served up a feast of things I want to follow up with there. (laughs) You know as well as I do, this is not a season where institutions are looked upon kindly. The church is an institution, but frankly, any institution. The, The latest Gallup survey says the confidence the American public has in every institution is declining precipitously. I loved how you cast it, that you both want to be a loving critic, but you also believe in institutions. That's a countercultural word right now. That feels right to me, but I'm wondering how you found yourself to that place. Well, I learned from Robert Greenleaf, Bob Greenleaf, and Richard Berholm, Dick Berholm, who founded the Greenleaf Center. In America, if you want to create change and be innovative, it has to be the person and the institution that has any impact. A person by themselves do not. We are governed by institutions. That's part of the democratic system. And like it or not, it's the institution. And if you just go throughout history, 
it takes institutions to be a part of that. And I think God loves institutions, and I put any business in that. Minnesota has a unique feature. In the state of Minnesota, on the books, if you want to open up a company and make a widget, you only get licensed to do so if you can show that your widget creates to the common good. Hmm. We're the only state in the union that requires companies to think about the common good as a part of their mission, not just making the widget and making money. They always want us to be thinking in terms of multiple bottom lines. I think that's true of the church as well. As an institution, we have multiple bottom lines that we have to be aware of if we're going to have impact. One of the programs that I'm involved in right now is Charity to Change, which is a program I chair the Coangelo Carpenter Center for Innovation within the Leadership Foundations, of which I'm a board member. But the Innovation Center has created this Charity to Change, and the whole idea behind that is to help congregations not just do charity work, but be a change agent within the community by being deeply involved, not just living in the community, but being of the community, and most importantly, be with the community in the work that goes on there. I'm excited about that project just because of its impact. And in that last piece you just said, Jack, I think you've almost anticipated my next question. (laughs) You used the word thriving, that you want to see and help institutions thrive. Can you just give me a couple elements you see? Again, that is a countercultural word today. Institutions, by and large, are not thriving today. Yeah. One of the things that happened when I was working with the Greenleaf Center with Dick Broholm is that we looked at what does it mean to see things whole? Within that, we realized that thriving has to happen within an organization, but thriving has to happen as the organization relates to the rest of the world. And so you know, when I talk about thriving, I talk about identity within the organization. Do we take seriously the culture that we've created within an organization? And is it a place where the values are actually lived out or are they just named and put on a wall? Are the talents of the staff and coworkers identified and utilized? Mm. Is the organization a safe environment for risk-taking that encourages both development and commitment? Part of it is that identity, how we structure the character and quality of our life. But I think institutions also is about clarity of its mission. Because community without mission is self-absorption. You can have a wonderful organization, everybody loves each other, but there's no output. (laughs) There's nothing happening. And mission without community is exhaustion. If you can't work together, how are you going to do it? And so there's questions around that whole notion of mission. Do we openly share information with staff and others? Do we empower the people that we're serving? Do we welcome criticism? Those kinds of questions about mission clarity. And the third thing is how do we secure the essential resources for our mission? How is the board, how is the church council working towards both its mission and preserving its identity? And there's just lists of questions that I have about that. I'll give you just a couple. Do we ensure that everyone is heard on issues in which they have a stake and are empowered to exercise and be accountable for the power around these issues? Stewardship has to do with how you steward power as well as steward money. Among the many rich things you said there, Jack, was that institutions have to be safe places for risk-taking and innovation. Right. 
One thing I'm observing in our network, 1,100 or so pastors and congregations, 23 different denominations and non-denominational pastors and churches, is from the smallest to the largest church, from the West Coast to the East Coast, from the North to the South, right now is not a safe place in many, many, many congregations. Mm -hmm. Politics is upstream of faith. And because of the pandemic, the question I think really looming this fall is how do we get people back? There's almost a frenetic, scattered activity to try anything. The pressures right now, I think, within faith communities is almost pushing them even more to self-absorption because it is tied to thriving, what they think is thriving. It's tied to survival. It's tied to some restoration. And then you've got the whole political thing where everybody is coming to church with their political lens firmly in place as they listen to anything a pastor or fellow adherents to the congregation are saying. So can you say a little bit about how we nurture safe place for risk and innovation? As Parker Palmer says, there's always simplicity on the other side of complexity, although you're addressing <laughs> complexity <laughs> from which we're going to try to find some simplicity. Bob Terry, the late Bob Terry, who founded the leadership school at the Humphrey Institute at the University of Minnesota, said when people want safety, give them a challenge to go out beyond themselves. Mm-hmm. You can't self-preserve. I think in the case of the church, we need to address the scattered church if we want it to be a gathering place. It's the scattered people that gather. I think rather than being preoccupied with preserving an institution, we need to allow that institution to have effect out in the real world. I'm a member of a church of 8,000 members, right? Pastor Mike Carlson, we're good friends. And Mike constantly talks about being out there in the real world, but his real excitement betrays him. It's all about the programs within the church. And we know that less than 20% of any congregational membership is involved in any church-wide mission. So you leave 80% of the people out on Sunday morning, and it's still impressive. You know, 8,000 members, we have a men's group of 300 men, and we think it's highly successful. Well, it is. But that doesn't really touch 8,000 people. But everybody goes from Sunday to Monday to their workplace. So I constantly ask Mike, Mike, are you out there? Are you out there where the people are? Once you go to where the people are, Mike, you are no longer the pastor. You're the layman in their world. And you're learning about their world. And the more your presence as a representative of Jesus Christ to them and simply listening to them, You're engaging them in the connection between their faith on Sunday and their work on Monday. The biggest disconnect in America is that disconnect. I'm convinced. People still think it's more holy to do something inside. I just talked to a guy that is the president of a very, very large accounting firm. If I named it, you'd know him. pastor recently went, and this is a pastor of another church that I was working with, went to him and said, can you get involved? And he did. He got involved on the church council and went out. Well, I was interviewing lay people that are active in churches while I was running the Continuing Education Center at Luther Seminary. I went to visit him. And he says, you know, I love our church and I'm doing what I can on the council. But he says, you know, I'm really all alone because I actually think God is at work in this accounting company. We affect people worldwide. 
And what I worry every morning I get up is worrying about what effect our company's having on the poor and the underprivileged of the world. And I would love to have a dialogue about that. I can make a difference there. Our church can't. Mm -hmm. But couldn't the church just support me Mm -hmm. in the outreach that I have? Mm -hmm. And then he paused and he says, you know, our church has a worldwide ministry. Because my buddies that go to that church who also feel like they're just a number are involved in equally global issues that the church has a say in. Mm. But we have no connection there. Mm. And yet he's the one that's a loving member. He's not criticizing and not being a member. He's involved, but he's just saying, you get about one-tenth of me. (laughs) And I said, if there was a change, would you give more money? And he says, they have no idea of the resources I have. I give in commensurate with what I think they can handle. But our church can't handle the kind of resource Mm. that I and my friends have if we could get together on something bigger than just preserving the institution. It's a great story of what I think is aspirational for pastors to look at. I give you just one more example. We just got a $10 million grant from an individual at Augsburg University. No one knew he had the money, but he just showed up one day and he said, no, I want to give you cash. I, I, you know, I need to get rid of some cash. He's a member of our church. Nobody in our church even knew he had money or who he was. And I just thought that was amazing that he got a little bit involved at Augsburg University and opened up the largest of his resources because someone took an interest in him. So I think we're at a point where we've untapped potential within the congregation, but we have to have a transformational mindset that really does drive people to the outside and the leadership there. Jack, you're offering such wisdom and I think really insight into not just the challenges, but the opportunities before us. We've said all through the pandemic, our conviction that God loves the world more than God loves the church and that we need to keep that. I mean, I think God loves the church just fine, but John 3.16 says God so loved the world. (laughs) And a lot of congregations, I think, I say this tenderly, they've lost a sense of that because of the internal pressures. But also one of our recent columns by a colleague of ours that we ran on our blog was basically saying no one other than clergy wake up any morning going, I wonder how the internal workings of my church are going. (laughs) And if they do, there's probably an agenda there that's not very healthy. What I'm hearing you say is that this is a clarion call, that the way through this and the way to thriving and the way to stop the self-obsession is to get beyond ourselves. It feels to me a little bit like Peter getting out of the boat and walking toward Jesus. He was doing fine until he, he looked down and goes, oh, gee. But as long as he kept his eye on Jesus and trusted the promise of God, it was going to be okay. The other thing I want to highlight that you said was the Sunday-Monday disconnect that needs to be reconnected. I just want to highlight that for everyone who's listening. We both know in the pressures of day-to-day ministry, this is not easy. But I agree with you. The biggest gulf I've seen when I was a pastor in a parish, as well as now, is that connection. And when I finally, being urged by a couple of mentors of mine to get out of the building, out of the office, and relentlessly visit the parishioners under our care at their place of work, everything opened up. Everything opened up. I learned so much. 
Well, I think in today's world, it's easier to get into a person's office than it is to get into their home because their home is in such disarray. But getting to the offices where we spend 100,000 hours of our life, that is a sacred place. And when I go and simply say, what you're doing is sacred work, your work is as important and more important than what I'm doing. I'm set apart to equip you to do your work. That's my job. I don't do the work of the church. I equip you to do God's work in the world, and you're doing it. And I want to know how I can support you. And it's just a different attitude. And when they start to see that that's what I'm more interested in than hearing on Sunday morning, God, I feel so good. More of you are coming back. Oh, good. We're helping to support your call. We're helping to support the pastor's call when we all come back. Oh, and if you get involved in church programs, oh, good. So now we're helping to extend your reach, pastor. But maybe you don't even use me for what I'm gifted at, but you just want me to come and be more apart. And then you've seen young people today going, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, I'm not going there. I want to be resourced. I want to give myself to a bigger cause. I think that's the challenge. Yeah, the church as equipping station is what I'm hearing you saying. Uh, And of course, as you talk about going to the office as opposed to the home, one big shift right now we're dealing with is often they're the same thing. You can get a twofer if you go to the office because it may well be in the home. This is incredibly helpful. To this point, in every church I served, I tried to get rid of the dreaded time and talent form because I felt all the message was come and be a widget in our machine. Come help us be more (laughs) of who we are. And then once we do that, we'll try to get to you. Every single sentence you spoke in this conversation deserves paragraphs and paragraphs of elaboration, but I think people can get a sense of why you're such a valuable colleague and leader. What is a scripture that is sustaining you right now? The one is from Luke 5, where Jesus approaches Peter, the businessman. I mean, if you look at that story, Jesus is walking down by Lake Gennesaret, and um, why were people attracted to him? Well, he'd been around for five chapters. That helped. Uh, But secondly... Jesus is more of a sage than he is a prophet, priest, and king. I really think the Eastern Orthodox Church better understands Jesus as a sage. And a sage arose in the Old Testament because people got disillusioned with institutions and structures and did no longer believe in them. And so what did God do? He took ordinary people in communities and lifted them up and said, there's this wisdom that you get not because you're bestowed upon by some degree or by some institution authorizing you, but you're unauthorized, but you speak truth Mm. and people listen. And Jesus spoke truth that he was not authorized by any institution. So he really was a sage as he walked down that road. And I just think it's so fascinating that engagement with Peter, the businessman who Jesus says, can I borrow your boat and sit in it? And I just love that story because here's Peter listening to Jesus talk, and he's got this big crowd around him, and he is the big businessman in that community. And what just strikes me is here's Peter sitting there, and my fantasy is he's saying, this is good for business. Here's a popular evangelist sitting in my boat. This is free advertisement. I can't do anything better. Until he starts listening to Jesus a little clearer, and Jesus starts saying stuff like, but I'm the way, the truth, and life. And my imagination is Peter goes, oh, no, 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 this is going to get me in trouble with the synagogue. I'm in deep caca right now. I don't know what I'm going to really do here. And as long as Peter was the businessman and Jesus was the preacher man, 
Peter could take Jesus for what he was, but Jesus was the Lord God. And so he turns to Peter and says, Peter, I'm going to mess with you. I'm going to mess with you with what's most important to you, and that's your business. Throw your nets over the other side. I know you haven't caught anything, but throw your nets over the other side. I want to show you something, Peter. The scripture is so understated. Lord, I've been fishing all night, but if it's okay, with you know, I'll throw my nets over. You know inside Peter was internally hemorrhaging at that point. Yeah. Inside his message was, you don't have any idea who I am. I am the businessman. I own this lake. Yeah. What are you talking yeah. about throwing my nets over? So what did Jesus do? He entered where it was most important to Peter, his business, and addressed Peter at his most vulnerable point. Mm. I love that passage because it just keeps reminding me that's what Jesus did. He went to people at their most vulnerable point where their deepest values were held and addressed that, didn't try to convince, didn't try to do anything else. And of course, we know the story that Peter was overwhelmed, even fearful because the truth was now out. So here is this one that was full of grace and truth, comes and speaks. Yeah to a leader in the community that was a businessman. Every time I get too involved institutionally, I go, wait a minute, where's Peter in this story? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I begin yeah. to... Oh, Jack, that is really telling. And I, I believe, as I know you do, that Jesus is messing with the church right now and used all the turmoil of the last couple of years <laughs> to help us resort priorities. I think so. It's hard, it's painful, but it's needed. I cannot thank you personally on behalf of our ministry for everything you are for us, your guidance, your wisdom, and the ways you support us. We could not imagine our ministry without you. So thank you so much, my friend. Well, I do thank you too, because I believe so much in what you're doing and what we are doing. I feel a part of who you are. And I think the connections with people like Leadership Foundation with Charity to Change Others. I mean, you're doing that same kind of work in a different venue, but we're partners, and there's ways in which together we can make a difference. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.